Well, that was beautiful, lovely, wonderful, pure, commendable, honorable, true. Um, I'm going to tell a story, but I think the last two days, or last day, I've kind of told some stories where it seems like um, I've told stories where I had pretty seemingly crystal clear Holy Spirit voice talk to me. And I want to make it really clear that today we're going to get a little murkier and a little darker. Uh, Sometimes the Holy Spirit is not as loud for me as um, the Holy Spirit has been in those talks. But before I get into that doubt and darkness, so I just want to let you know that today, both this morning and tonight, um, they're just going to be a little sadder, a little darker, but I hope that resonates with people that... um, Sometimes the Holy Spirit uh, is just this thing where you, it makes you feel alive, energized, excited, and sometimes you're looking in the dark for the Holy Spirit. But before I get into that, I want to just tell one quick story where things were still pretty clear. Um, and our small group sort of heard this story last night, so you guys can go out and get some coffee if you need to. Um, but it's, it's how I met Megan and how Megan met me. And um, <clears throat> I've already shared that I was at St. Andrew's at that church, and her family had recently started attending there again, St. Andrew's. Megan grew up Episcopal, um, but her dad grew up at St. Andrew's, like was baptized there 70 years ago, the whole deal. Um, and when she was in high school, late high school, they started going back to St. Andrews. And um, I, w- I was in my third year at St. Andrews, and I was a worship leader in addition to being the junior high guy there. And one night at Good News at Six, which is the place where I was the worship leader, um, I was kind of looking out at the crowd, and I just caught eyes with Megan and she was kind of sitting where she is right now and like in the congregation. And I seriously like caught eyes with her and I was just like, wow. (laughs) And I I had two thoughts run into my head and and the first one was, I was like, she is really cute. And the second one was, well, there's three thoughts, maybe four. But the, (laughs) the, the second thought was, okay, you're worship leading. So let's get back to that. And then my third thought was, oh my gosh, she could be one of our high schoolers. (laughs) Uh, Just because it was such a huge church and she still looks like very young, but you know, 18 years ago, she looked even younger, obviously. I was like, so then my fourth thought was, okay, really get back to worship leading. So so that happened and I worship led. And um, then later that night, Later that night, um, we were having this gathering for young adults at the church, and it was called SS Yacht Club. Now, SS Yacht Club is the cheesiest name ever that a Christian group could find to really just bring in, like, young adults to the church. Um, If you really want to, like, get millennials to come to church, name your young adult gathering this, SS Yacht Club. Second Sunday, young adult Christians hanging together. 
That was the name of the young adult group, SS Yacht Club. And um, so, so we go to this coffee shop in Stillwater, which is about 12 miles away, and um, I'm there with my friend Sarah, who was a pastor at the church, and we're kind of hosting the event. Sarah really is, but I'm talking to Sarah, and in walks this wonderful vision that I had from worship leading. Megan walked in, but she's walking in with this kind of hot guy with like, like a North Face jacket on, and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and so, so I, say to me, I say to Sarah, my friend, I'm like, do you know the two people who just walked in? And Sarah says, I don't know the girl, but that's my friend Sig from seminary. I don't know why his name is Sig, but his name was Sig. And maybe like Sigvard. And, <clears throat> and I, said, I said, this is all happening like, you know, five, ten seconds. And I said to Sarah, well, do you think that's his girlfriend? And she like shakes her head, no, Sig's not dating anyone. Just as that's happening, Sig's not dating anyone. <laughs> Megan walks right up to me and Sarah and says, hi, I'm Megan, I don't know anyone here. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what I remember. She did not share this last night, but I'm gonna say what I remember. She pointed at me and said, but you're the good news guy, right? Which is like the, the worship leader thing. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Freaking out because like unbelievably, like 20 years ago when we met, I mean, I know I'm a funny looking guy. Like I was way funnier looking back then. <laughs> Megan has, has very much transformed my, my whole look and Guatemalanness. And uh, my, my hair at the time was ridiculous. I was, I, I look, she would say now lovingly, Honey, you know, you're, you're 42 then, it was, you know, you were 22 or whatever. You looked like a 35-year-old man who was balding. You know, I had just, I just, you know, anyway. So the fact that she came up and said hello was just amazing. And that night we proceeded to have um, just an hour and a half conversation at a coffee shop uh, with or without my best friend Scott at the table. And I say with or without because... Scott did wind up being in our wedding, but he still describes that night as the most boring night of his life. Um, he, he was like, you two were just off to the races and I'm sitting there going like this. He was like, I did not need to be there. Now, um, what I will share a little bit, and Megan can share more if she wants, but her going down to that coffee shop was a very, very big Holy Spirit deal. Um, she would say it was completely out of character her for her to just go down to that coffee shop by herself as a college junior and just walk right up to us and say, hey, I don't know anyone here. Um, she was taking a huge Holy Spirit thing. She, she would describe like she was absolutely feeling the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, I was too. When, when we saw each other's eyes, and then when we met that night, I'm not going to say something cheesy like, oh, that's the woman I'm going to marry. I didn't feel that, but I felt this Holy Spirit, absolute electricity, like I am meeting someone very important, someone who is, um, and I described the small group last night, it was like when I saw Megan, when I met her, it was like 
I knew her already. Like I, I felt like I was home. I felt like I absolutely knew her so much so that I'm convinced, and I've done some of the math, I'm convinced that in 1982, both of our families were on a train in Duluth. Like that, because we both were sort of there at the same time. I'm like, that's how much I felt like I've already met you. Or like maybe like we played this game on the floor. I'm, I'm sure it didn't happen, but in my brain, like <laughs> that's the case. Um, so the other really cool thing is, is for two months, we just hung out. We were just friends, um, even though I was like, let's go. I was like, this is, she just needed more time. And in fact, about a month after we met, I kind of went in for a kiss and she did this. Whoa. <laughs> and something, the Holy Spirit said, just wait, it's fine. Just stick with it. And by December, she didn't say well. And by May, we were engaged. I mean, it just was like really happened fast. We got engaged um, May 30th, something around there. I started at Christ Presbyterian June 1st. So when we went to Christ Presbyterian, like, Megan has just always been with me in that journey. And the next year we got married and uh, Christ Presbyterian was just a very fun place for us to be. Um, but part of the, the next part of the story about trying to figure things out, I would guess even though um, you maybe know me, maybe know our story, even if you go to CPC, you might have forgotten this part. I just talked to Pete about it and he was like, I don't remember ever that ever happening. Well, in... 2001, Megan was very pregnant with Finn, who's now 14, you can do the math, and um, she was youth directing at a church in White Bear Lake, and um, I'm just going to tell you this story, I don't think I would have told you this story 10 years ago, but I'm ready to tell it now. Um, we, were, we were pregnant, and I talked to my boss at the time, and Megan was due July 6th. And if you know about camps at CPC, there's a camp called Rock Slide that happens in late June, and there's a camp that happens called Quest in early July. And I talked to my boss and I said, there's just no way I can go to either camp this year because Megan could be delivering at any time. And my boss looked at me and said, this was his first reaction to him finding out we were having a baby. He says, well, I mean, you couldn't have picked a worse time to have a kid. And, and he was pissed. I mean, he was pissed that we were having a baby. And I'm like, this is the most exciting thing ever. And, and I got to tell you, um, another thing that had happened is our friend Tim had said, I really want you to come to be a youth pastor at our church in Stillwater. And so I came home and told Meg what my boss had said. And she said, call Tim. I'm... I'm done. If, if he's not going to understand, like, what, this, is, this is a test case, and if it's always going to be like our baby, Finn, is in the way in you doing ministry, this isn't going to work. So I called Tim, and we wound up going to Trinity Lutheran Church in Stillwater in 2001. I started in May. I left CPC, and um, Megan was youth directing, and then in July... Finn was born, 
And the whole month of June, the church that we went to was just in disarray. They were absolutely in disarray, and we kind of knew that going in. And I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it became clear just how in disarray they were and how dysfunctional uh, the staff was, and it just really was not a happy place. And um, we, we were just kind of lost for a while. We were like, we really missed Christ Presbyterian. We, had, we still were kind of connected to St. Andrews, and Megan was at this church in White Bear Lake. And um, then Finn was born on July 7th. And the next Sunday, I had three weeks off. I kind of worked that into, into my deal. I had a three-week paternity leave, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, and this should have told us something. Finn was born on a Saturday, so we didn't go to church the next day because that would have been silly. But eight days later, when we wanted to go to church, we are like, where do we go to church? We had like four choices, three big choices, and we looked at each other like, we want to take him to CPC. (laughs) And so (laughs) we were working at two different churches, but we went to Christ Presbyterian. And then something else happened. Megan was like, I don't know if I want to go back to work. I'm kind of with this kid, and he is just needing me all the time, and then something amazing happened. A friend of ours named Kathy, who some of you might know, goes, goes to CPC and called on the phone, and she said, I'm not real excited to be calling you right now because we're good friends, and I said, I don't want to be the one to call you, but we had a meeting tonight, and I was voted as the one to call you. And she said, we haven't hired your replacement yet at CPC, and we're having trouble I know this is crazy, but would you ever consider coming back? And I engaged in that conversation on the phone. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Megan was sitting right here next to me on the couch. I'm on the phone, and I got off the phone. And this is part of what I was talking about yesterday about Megan's gut, her Holy Spirit voice, just how deeply and strongly she feels things. Um, I got off the phone. I didn't say anything. She just looked at me, and she said, we're going back to CPC. And the next day, the next day, Megan and I had breakfast with John Crosby, who's the senior pastor at Christ Presbyterian. And um, we went back like two weeks later. It was the craziest thing. And Pete and I talked about this last night. And um, the, the, the most difficult part of the conversation, I think you can imagine, was my friend Tim, who had brought me to this church in Stillwater. And... I went into his office, and he gave a master class in what grace is. I I explained the situation. Um, Something that I didn't mention is going back to CPC, John Crosby really wanted us to come back, and he said, what would it take to get you to come back? And I shot him this ridiculous figure, and he almost matched it. Um, I'm also comfortable telling you that like 12, 15 years later now. it was like Holy Spirit all over the place saying, this, this is what was supposed to happen. It's okay. Um, so I explained all that to my friend Tim, and he looked at me, and this is all he said. He's like, Kyle, if it were my family, I would do the exact same thing. He just gave grace. And to this day, we are still friends with Tim. Um, he totally understood and understood that voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want us to think about and wrestle about today is this question. 
were we not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit when we took this four-month journey to Stillwater? Did we hear wrong? Did we do something wrong? Did we get it wrong? And I have my own answer to that, but I think that that's really important, fun, interesting to wrestle with, to kind of figure out what, what did all that mean? And my short answer, and it's probably not going to be that short about it, is um, I don't think we were wrong. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of different ways to look at that with the Holy Spirit. It could very well be that we needed to make that exact journey to come back to Christ Presbyterian Church. Now, we left. What did I tell you? Why did we leave? It seemed like family was not going to be that important to my boss, who, by the way, was not John Crosby. I mean, ultimately, yes, but... Um, us coming back, we were able to engage that conversation again um, and realize on a lot of things we thought we were maybe a mile apart on, we were really only an inch apart on. And so that was really good work for us to do. Who knows? It might have been the exact thing that God wanted us to do so that we were able to make a new income which would have never happened had we not left. And it enabled Megan to stay home with Finn at the time, which, by the way, had its own journeys of trying to figure out, was that the right thing? But that is the course that we took. And what Pete and I talked about last night, and it sort of stemmed from a conversation in his small group, whoever is in Pete's small group, is does, how, how exactly does the Holy Spirit work? Or does God care if you've got like a choice A and a choice B? Now, sometimes there's just choice A right, choice B wrong. Like, cheat on your taxes, don't cheat on your taxes. I don't really think that that's like a Holy Spirit equation where you can like try to like justify yourself into, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of telling me that we just need you know, about 5,000 extra dollars, and so I'm going to go through this door. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about two fantastic good choices, and Pete kind of likened it to your kid telling you, I think I want to be a doctor, versus your kid saying, I think I'm feeling called to be an accountant. Wh whatever. It's not like you would tell your kid necessarily, like, oh, you, you got to do this. It's like, both answers are okay. And, and Pete was kind of saying, I don't, I'm talking about you, Pete. Is that all right? Do you love me? That's right. Um, but I really agreed with this. Like, I don't know that God cares. I don't know that God cares like that. He cares deeply, deeply about us. But whichever choice you make sometimes you're going to find God in that choice. And the reason that I bring up this part of the story is, is that I think God uses every decision, every choice we make, even when we can kind of look back and say, I would not make that choice again. God teaches us through the Holy Spirit 
what can happen, and I think God is teaching us things all the time. The text that I want to look at today, if you have your Bible, great. If you don't, great, is Romans 8. It's one of my absolute favorite verses. However, um, my favorite verse is the one that you hear at uh, funerals a lot. I think it's a verse that helps in so many situations. Um, Verses 38 through 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, There's a lot of this can't, this can't, this can't, this can't, this can't, this can't, and then it ends with nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Um, one thing that I learned to do at seminary was to read farther or read earlier because sometimes we have these verses that are so special to us or so dear to us, but there's more to it. If you read the book of Romans, you know, it's called the Romans Road, it is, it, you almost have to read the whole thing because it is telling the story of God from chapter 1 through chapter 16. And if you pluck something out, you can be like, okay, well, you didn't get to chapter 11. Like something amazing is happening there, and you have to read the whole thing. The reason I say that is I think you really need to look at starting at verse 18 to really get the oomph of 38-39. And verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then it says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groaning. Not everything is right yet. Not everything is right yet. There are things that have happened to every single person in the room where you are like, why on earth did that happen? Why am I suffering? Why did my sister-in-law die in her 40s? Why does my kid have this trouble or this challenge? Or why is she being bullied? if we went around the room or you went around in small group, I think everyone would have their suffering that they they could say, like, this is where I don't get it. And I think one of the really important things for us to do as Christ followers is to be okay sharing when we don't get it. When the Holy Spirit seems to go silent. I chose my words carefully because I don't think that the Holy Spirit goes silent, but for us, it seems to go silent. And I'm going to talk about that even more tonight. But then if you jump to verse 26, it says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when has there been a time when all you've had is groans? You have not even had words to pray. I know for me, sometimes my most holy prayers have been when I don't know what to say. Someone shared last night the same thing. I have no idea what to pray right now. And that is when the Holy Spirit can go on overdrive for you. Because what Paul is talking about, what Christ is talking about, what God is talking about is when we are weak, when we are suffering, when things aren't making sense, that is when God can come in wrap holy arms around us and make sense of it with the Holy Spirit and sometimes not even make sense of it. Just give us this peace that passes all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm getting a few nods because there are people who really have experienced this, this spirit coming to us like a blanket and just wrapping our arms when we feel so, so low. And I gotta tell you, when it's happening, I'm not trying to describe this blanket happening. It's just like, oh, I feel so warm and fuzzy. You, you still are just, you're maybe like weeping, but something very spiritual is happening. And I got to tell you, it is those times, not in the moment, but when I look back and I say, whoa. I could really feel God. I could really feel Jesus. I could really feel the Holy Spirit when I was so low. And not only that, I look back and I say, oh my goodness. That's exactly why that happened. Now, I want to be really clear. In the moment when it's happening, I don't have those feelings. I don't have this clarity and this Oh, that's why that's happening. Thumbs up, God. It's still this racked with sobbing, this not being able to figure it out. Maybe you're throwing things. Maybe you're swearing. I, I don't know what it is. And if you are, God can handle it. It's fine. But God comes to us in our wrestling, in our wondering, in our trying to figure out where we are. There's another huge character in the Bible named Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. And if you know the story of Jacob, he, um, he's a bit of a crafty character and he is like a huge hero of our faith. But Jacob started out in life stealing his brother's birthright, Esau, is his twin, and he steals his brother's birthright from him, steals his brother's blessing. But the way things were, that's the way things were. Jacob got those things. And in, in Genesis chapters 32 and 33, Amazing, amazing things happen. 
If you remember that story well, Jacob wrestles with an angel. I don't know how much is real, how much is symbolism, how much is dream, because it happens at night. But Jacob wrestles with an angel, and sometimes it says he's wrestling with God, trying to figure out his way. He's getting ready to meet Esau for the first time in a long, long time. They probably haven't seen each other for like 50 years. They were boys, teenagers, when they left each other because Esau said, I'm out of here. And Jacob is frightened. And he's trying to figure out how he meets his brother Esau. And what happens is incredible. He wrestles with the angel and he says, God, just bless me, bless me. He almost begs God to bless him. And in that is just a multitude of emotions and feelings and trying to figure out where he is, who he is in God's story. He says, will you bless me? I think he's saying, will you bless me even though I did so wrong 40 years ago or however long ago it was? I think he's remorseful. I think he's realizing, like, I cheated my brother out of this, and I have been blessed beyond blessing. I've got all this stuff, but it was at the expense of my brother. And the amazing thing is God does bless him. Breaks his hip socket, by the way, and then gives him a new name. Chris is giving me a funny look. It's fine. Um, breaks his hip socket and gives him a new name. His name is no longer Jacob, it's Israel. You are going to be this father of nations, and Jacob is changed forever. Right after that, he does meet Esau. Now, Jacob is this amazing character because he's still crafty. Even though he's had this wrestling with God, we have like character things in us, and I'm not even going to call them character flaws, but we have character stuff in us that is really hard to just get rid of. Even when we know Christ, even when we are being transformed or are transformed, we have character flaws or whatever you want to think that just keep happening. And so... Jacob's is, is that he's crafty and he's like, I, I got to be sure, I got to be sure that I'm going to be okay, I got to be sure that my family's okay, even though I've done this wrestling with God and I'm moving forward. And so Jacob at this point, if you remember, he has at least 13 kids, he's got a bunch of wives and their kids, you're talking like hundreds of people go to meet Esau and Jacob divides the family. He divides the family, one way over here, one over there, and only one half of the family goes to meet Esau, and Jacob is part of that. Why is he dividing his family? He's dividing his family because he is worried, he's concerned that Esau has come for revenge. Esau has come for battle. And so Jacob, in his craftiness, says, maybe... If Esau comes for battle, I can save half of the family. Like maybe we will all be slaughtered, but half of them will be okay. Here's what happens. 
Jacob comes to meet Esau, and Esau greets him with an embrace, with a kiss, and they both weep openly. They weep over all the lost years. Jacob came to that meeting prepared for battle, and Esau came with the surprise of peace and reconciliation. And part of our working, part of our reconciliation work, part of our listening to the Holy Spirit is how can we show up with a surprise of peace instead of coming ready for battle? Because to be frank, like in the world's terms, Esau had every right to come for battle and revenge and say, you wronged me, but time has a way of changing us. And so Esau comes ready for peace and reconciliation and the brothers come together, are reconciled. All of that comes from a wrestling and not really having clarity about where we are or what happens and sometimes it's just like that. I know... I don't know that you can I don't know that you can get out of life without having some sort of conflict with your brother or your sister. Um, and I know we have some in the room. We're okay. We'll be okay. Um, because man, and you could even put spouse in there. You you fight the hardest with the people you love the most. And what that means is, is when it happens, it's not fun at all. But if you do it and you do it well, you have a chance of coming out better on the other side, coming stronger in your relationship. And I would invite us to think about that this morning, that we're going to have conflict with the people we love the most. And how we choose to have that conflict is a big deal. And I would invite us to really take some time and think about what's the Holy Spirit saying to me about that? Do I come to a fight prepared for battle or do I come ready for reconciliation and peace? And I don't mean that you just sweep under the rug and you don't, that's not what peace is. It means working towards a reconciliation and that's something really important that I think we are called to do, that we're asked to do. So that's one of the things that I want us just to sit with today is in my relationships, what is the Holy Spirit asking me to do? What's the Holy Spirit asking me to say? How can I reach out my hand in reconciliation instead of battle? Um, and... This one sort of is going to be left hanging because tonight is sort of the second part of it. And so there, I, I've tried, but there's no real way just to end this one. Um, there is, but it'll end tonight. There, there's more to it, but it's sort of like a part one, part two. And I apologize, I don't have a more Hollywood ending. But um, I can pray. What, Chris? You're talking? Chris says to be continued. That's how I could do it. But I also am going to pray. So let's pray as we go into our SGs.
holy and gracious God, God of peace, God of reconciliation. Help us open our hands wide so that we can receive your gift. Help us when we are praying and we have absolutely no words, when we don't know what to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes and advocates, intercedes for us, wraps arms around us, puts a blanket around us, and says, it will be okay. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone who needs that blanket right now, who maybe is wondering what that means, that a mighty work would be done, and that there would even be people here in this room who would be your blanket representative, would come and help. I ask, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would be very present in this room today, that we would feel it and that we would know how to help one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of today and ask that you continue to walk with us day by day. Amen.